Father God, thank you again for your goodness. Thank you that you are with us and for us, that you love us, you never leave us. God, we pray that as we open your word this morning that you would speak to us through your spirit, that you would say whatever it is you want to say to us. I pray that we respond in faith and obedience to whatever you might want to say to us. And so God, would you meet with us? Would you help us to continue to understand more and more about your heart for us so we can live the way that you've designed us to live? God, we love you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 in just a couple minutes. But as I mentioned, we are in this series that we're calling Gentle and Lowly. It's based off of, it's actually based off a book, but it's ultimately based off the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, where Jesus invites those who labor and are heavy laden, those who are burdened to come to him. He says he'll give us rest. And then he describes for us his heart for us, and it's gentle and lowly. And so this morning, we're going to focus on a word that uh, I kind of came across as I was reading this book. I think it was in chapter four, and uh, it's this word solidarity. I don't know if you ever use this word solidarity. It's a fun word that I, I very rarely if ever use. I don't think I've ever said the word solidarity in a sermon, um, but I want to talk about this word solidarity. It means union or unity. There's a sense of harmony or oneness together, undivided. It's it's almost the spirit of I'm with you, all right? I'm with you. And so we're going to talk about this morning, the solidarity of Christ with us. As I was thinking about this word, solidarity, I just thought of this old slang phrase. I don't know if you've ever used this, do me a solid. Have you ever heard that phrase? Ever used that? Kramer on Seinfeld years ago apparently brought that back in. Do me a solid. It means do me a favor, all right? You do, like, we're here together. We're in this together. We have, we're, there's solidarity here. That's the only way I could figure out that that phrase makes any sense at all. Do me a solid. Um, so let me ask you, in your life, in your relationships, in the circle uh, of your social circle, who in your life do you have solidarity with? Do you have a close friend or maybe a spouse or a brother or sister, a parent, a child, maybe a coworker, someone that you're like, maybe you have different personalities, maybe you think differently about the world, but man, you're just together. There's this like unity, this bond that you have with one another. And so today we want to talk about the solidarity of, of Christ with us. And another way that I could say this is that Jesus is divine but he's not distant. He's not detached. He, he is with us and for us and alongside of us. And so this morning, I want to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. And I want us to look at this passage. Really what we're doing in this whole series is, is we're just diving deeper into the heart of Christ for us. This gentle and lowly heart. And as we look through these different passages of Scripture, what we're going to see and understand hopefully more is exactly how he feels about us and how available he is to us. And so Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. And the whole context of, of Hebrews 4 is rest. Rest, the rest of God for the people of God. And at the end of this chapter, the writer says this, starting in verse number 14. He says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet 
without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And so there's, there's three, when I read through this passage, three really simple verses, but man, three really basic, but such powerful concepts that if we can understand these things, the more that we can understand these things, the more it will change the way we live our lives. And so the first thing is this that we see is that Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our great high priest. So let me, let me give a little bit of a history lesson about Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the people of God. There's a, a, a place and a, a person or a role that, that played a big part in the people connecting with God. The, the place is the tabernacle. So the tabernacle was a tent. It was kind of like a portable worship center. And this is where God, God's presence dwelled on earth was in the tabernacle. And when you look at how this tabernacle was comprised, there was three sections. So there was the first section, which was the outer court. And then as you got deeper into this tabernacle, there was a a place called the holy place. Holy just means set apart. So you have the holy place that was set apart. It was only for the priests. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So the holy place for the priests, but even deeper in, kind of in this inner sanctum, if you will, was what was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And that was also set apart and that was limited to the high priest. So let me talk about, I've talked about the place, the tabernacle, but then there's this person and it's the priest. So priests were, were um, those who cared for the sacred space and they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people because of their sin. And they would represent God to the people and they would represent the people to God. And so if you take the priest and you take the tabernacle, the person and the place, these kind of form this gateway, if you will, between heaven and earth. The connecting point was the priests and the tabernacle or the presence of of God dwelled. And then you had this high priest and the high priest, he, he was kind of like the supreme leader of, of the priests. And I can't say that without Star Wars coming into my brain. Supreme leader, high priest. He was kind of the leader of, of the high priests. And his most important duty was, was to conduct services on what was called the Day of Atonement. The most holy sacred day in Judaism was, and we would maybe know it as Yom Kippur, it was, it was held every year on the 10th day of the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. It was called the Day of Atonement. And what would take place on the Day of Atonement is that the high priest, and he was the only one that could enter into that, that innermost sanctum, that holy of holies. On the Day of Atonement, one day every year, this high priest would make his way into that third intersection of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and he would make an atonement for the sins of the people, for himself and for the sins of the people. And so at the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God on the mercy seat, he would, he would offer sacrifice. He would make atonement for the sins of the people. And so for the next year, the people's sins would be covered over. And so in in essence, it was making a way to have access to God for the next year because our sins have been taken care of, atoned for. And so think of that as this is the role of the high priest. 
Now, when we look at Hebrews chapter four and really the whole book of Hebrews, we see Jesus referred to as our great high priest, which means he is our, he's a better high priest. He is our perfect high priest. And, and when you look at this description in, in Hebrews four, how it, it defines him or describes him, it says, since then we have a great high priest. First thing it says about him is who has passed through the heavens. So there's a question here. What does that mean that he has passed through the heavens? Like I get this image, is this like Jesus floating through space, you know, like into heaven? What does this mean? I want to take us to an obscure verse in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. All right. So this is kind of an interesting passage. It's the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about himself in the third person. And so look at this in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. He's talking about this vision that this man has. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And Paul goes on this little story about this man who was himself that had this vision and he was caught up to the third heaven. Now, what does that mean? All right, this is one of these little nuggets that I want to just throw out there because, you know, third heaven, does that mean there's three heavens, five heavens, seven heavens? What is seventh heaven? That was an old show. I don't know if you all remember that back in the day. What is that all about? There's not seven heavens, all right? I don't even know where they got that phrase. Okay, so when you, when you look through scripture, there's, there's kind of three things that we would describe it as heaven. The first heaven would be the atmosphere, like the sky, the earth's atmosphere. And then the second Heaven would be what we would know as, as outer space, all right? So when you go back to the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's talking about space and the earth. And so that's that second heaven. But then this third heaven that, that, that Paul references here is what we would understand as the abode of God, the dwelling place. When we think of heaven, we think of, well, that's where God resides, right? This is the third heaven that he's talking about. The third heaven was the dwelling place where God's presence is. And so think about this. As Hebrews 4 talks about our great high priest, it describes him as one who has passed through the heavens. First heaven, second heaven, into the third heaven, the holy of holies, if you will. And so like the, the, the high priest of old that would move through this first Level, level of the tabernacle, the outer court, and he would move into the holy place and he would move into this third level, which was the holy of holies. And what did he do there? He would atone for the sins of the people. And Jesus, he's not like any other high priest. He's like no high priest before him. He is our great high priest and he has passed through the heavens into the holy of holies, if you will, the very dwelling place of God. And through his work, through his death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension into, uh, into the, the holy of holies, he has, he has paid the price and made atonement for the sins of the people. He is our great high priest. And, and, and this making atonement, this, the sacrifice that he offered, it, 
unlike the, the high priests of old, they had this ongoing, they would make this ongoing once a year sacrifice. And this, would, this is like, you know, when you subscribe to a service now, that's like, okay, in a year you've got to resubscribe and you've got to do this all over again. It was like every single year, the high priest had to make atonement to cover your sins. And then, okay, they're covered for the next year. But in a year, you have to come back and have those sins atoned for again and again. Jesus, his sacrifice isn't ongoing. His sacrifice was, as the scripture says, once for all. Once for all. And I want you to see this in Hebrews. Again, if you look throughout this whole book of Hebrews, we see this, this idea and this theme of the priesthood of Jesus. In Hebrews 7, 26 and 27, it says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners. He's, he's unlike us. He's holy and separate. He's exalted above the heavens. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests, those human high priests. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this, how often? Say it. Once for all. Once for all when he offered up himself. What that means is he offered one sacrifice for every single person and for every single sin, past, present, future. His sacrifice, not ongoing, it's once for all. Again, in Hebrews 9, 24 through 26, it says this, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, not into this human tabernacle, which are copies of the true things. They're just pointing to the reality in heaven. He entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. Interesting phrase, because Jesus Again, as a different, as a great high priest, he offered his own blood. Verse 26, for then he would, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared how many times? Once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He is our great high priest and he is the one who, who deals with our sin and gives us direct access to the Father. You know, I remember uh, a few years ago, it's probably been four or five years ago, our family, while we were still living in Springfield, Missouri, we didn't live too far from the state of Texas. And now we hadn't, none of us had ever spent much time in the state of Texas. And so one spring break, we decided, hey, let's, let's do a little tour of Texas. We were missing the beach, so let's head to Galveston, doesn't really count, by the way. Um, let's head to Galveston. We can circle up around um, San Antonio. I really want to spend some time there, go see the Alamo, and then head up to Dallas-Fort Worth. Um, but as a pastor, okay, we're a weird breed. Um, so I'm like a church junkie. We kind of plan trips around attending churches, which is really weird, I know. But um, there was a particular church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that I really wanted to visit. Um, it's a church called the Village Church, and the pastor's name is Matt Chandler. Now, you may have heard of him. He's written a lot of books. He's kind of a, 
I don't know, celebrity pastor, if there's such a thing, but uh, he's done a lot of Bible studies on Right Now Media, if you ever use that, um, which, by the way, is a free resource for you all. If you go to friendshipwire.com, go to resources. Right Now Media is like Netflix of Bible studies, so it's free for you all. But Matt Chandler um, wanted to go visit his church, and we happen to know um, some of Annette's, uh, actually a childhood friend of hers, was married to a guy, or is married to a guy who was on staff at the Village Church. So we're like, hey, perfect. So we said, hey, is Matt Chandler going to be at church on this Sunday? Well, no, he's not. So we rearranged our trip to come through Dallas-Fort Worth on the way back through. Again, nerd pastor guy here. So Saturday night on our way home, we stop and we go to church at the Village Church. And Tyler, the husband, says, hey, why don't you come a little early? I'll give you a tour of the building. And I'm like, okay, this is awesome. Again, I'm nerding out here. I just want to check out this building and see where ministry takes place and what y'all do. So he gives us this behind-the-scenes tour. And I'm just thinking this is the coolest thing ever. And it's like maybe 10 minutes before the service. And so, or 10 or 15 minutes, we move into the auditorium. And we're finding this row and for our family to sit in. And, and Tyler... Um, comes up to me and says, hey, do you want to meet Matt? I'm like, Matt, Matt Chandler? I'm like, I'm like a giddy little school girl, girl here, you know? I'm just like, are you like Matt Chandler? Like Pastor Matt Chandler, like right now? Um, he said, yeah, let's just let's go up and meet him. And I, I see him at the front of the church, um, and he's like talking with folks, and he's kind of bent over talking with some people. So Annette and I go and meet him, and, uh, you know, she, so he, he turns around and he stands up and, you know, he, he's a tall man, all six foot, 100 of him, whatever. He was really tall. And Annette, um, you know, she kind of makes fun of herself because she tends to, you know, stick her foot in her mouth sometimes, once in a while, every once in a great while. Um, but he stands up and he's like this towering hulk of a man. And she is like, wow, you're way taller than you look on video. <laughs> and, he, and he laughs and he's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I get that a lot, you know, and, and so we proceed to like talk for like five minutes and, and we're, we're just chatting it up and we're talking, we're talking about relatives that he has in Missouri and we're, we're sharing stories and it's so cool. And then we go and sit down and I'm like, I just met Matt Chandler, this is so cool. And uh, he starts preaching and he tells a story and he incorporates something that we talked about in his sermon. And I'm like, he just dropped something from our conversation. There is no way he would have talked about that unless we had that conversation right before church. And so I'm like, this is amazing. So, I know, I'm weird, all right? Um, but then we pull out, so go through the whole service. We're literally pulling out of, of the parking lot. And here's Matt Chandler out on the sidewalk. And he like sees us driving by. He's like waving at us like we're good old friends. And I'm like, this is incredible. I am now friends with Matt Chandler. And then I tweeted him that night and he didn't respond. So apparently the connection was not as strong as I was hoping. But I met him, I shook his hand, we talked and it was awesome. Um, and that's a silly story, but you know, I probably would have never met Matt Chandler uh, if it weren't for Tyler. Like I needed a go-between. I could have done this weird pastor stalking thing, you know, but like I needed a go-between. It sounds like I am a weird stalker, doesn't it? A little bit, a little bit. I needed a go-between. And here's the reality. This is, this is the same thing with God, that we all need a go-between, that we need someone to help us to have access to God. But we don't have that on our own. Because of our sin, we need a great high priest who will help deal with our sin so that we could come into the presence of God. 
And this is who Jesus is. He is our great high priest. And I just want to drop another little thought in there. This is why in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 that we as the, the people of God were called a royal priesthood. Because one of our, our roles as followers of Jesus is to act as a go-between. Between people that don't know Jesus and the Father. And we get to act as that, that go-between as we point them to the great high priest who gives them direct access to the Father. We don't need an earthly priest. We need Jesus as our great high priest. So that's the first thing. Jesus is our great high priest. Here, here's the second thing that we see in this passage, which is, again, just as amazing. And it's this. As a man, Jesus understands our struggles. As a man, Jesus understands our struggles. What we see here and what you see all throughout, throughout all the New Testament is that Jesus was, was human. He is human. He's 100% man. When you look back, go back to Hebrews 4 verse um, 14. It says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And it uses the word, the term or the title Jesus, which was his earthly title. That was his title of humanity. All right. So he was, he was a man and he may be in heaven now, but he experienced life on earth as a human being. And because of, listen, because of his humanity, because he's walked in our shoes, he is able to understand everything that we go through. He is able to, as it says in verse 15, sympathize with our weaknesses. He gets it. He, you know what it means to sympathize with someone? It means to have compassion. It means to have feeling. It means to be touched by something that some, somebody else is experiencing or going through. And Jesus, you know, our tendency would be to, to say, well, he's God. He's in heaven. He died and rose again. He's, he, he could never understand what I'm experiencing. He could never know what I'm feeling. But what we're told here is that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. In fact, it's in our weaknesses that he sympathizes with us. It's not when all is well. It's not when life is good that he sympathizes with us. No, it's, it's in our weaknesses. It's because he's walked in our shoes. He, is, he has faced every temptation that we face, yet without sin. And so he may be closest to us when we feel the most in despair, when we struggle the most. As a man, Jesus understands our struggles. He experienced every temptation that we face. He dealt with sorrow and loneliness and, and was tempted or tested with pride and with lust and with greed and with fear. And, he, and the, the reality is that he overcame every single one of those temptations. I want to read you a quote from the book from Dane Orland. He said this, The real scandal of Hebrews 4.15, though, is, that, is, is what we are told about why Jesus is so close and with his people in their pain. He has been tempted or, or tested, put to the test, as the word can also denote, as we are. Not only that, but, quote, in every respect, 
as we are. The reason that Jesus is in such close solidarity with us is that the difficult path we are on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. He gets it. He understands whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, though nobody else around you may understand, though everyone around you will never understand, though you may not even fully understand, Jesus does every single time. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He is gentle and lowly. And so as a man, he understands our struggle. And that leads us to this third part, which is so important for us to grasp. As God, Jesus is able and willing to help As God, Jesus is able and willing to help. So we talked about his humanity, but then there's this reality that he was also God. Jesus was God, 100% God in the flesh. When you look back at verse number 14, it says, since we have such a high priest, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, which was his title of humanity. And then the writer gives us another title. Jesus, the Son of God, that was his divine title. That was his title signifying his divinity, his deity. He is the Son of God. And as God, he is able and willing to help because he has, he has faced every single temptation. I want you to look at that last verse there who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet how? Would you say it with me? Without sin. Yet without sin. He's faced every single temptation that we could face, yet without sin. In other words, he has never once caved to temptation. He has never once buckled or folded under the weight of temptation. No, every single time he has come out victorious over that sin. Not once has he submitted. He had the power to resist every temptation, to pass every test, and now he makes that very power available to us so that we don't have to wallow and struggle and fight in our temptation and our weakness, but we actually have a way of escape. We actually have the power to overcome because of what he has done. And I'm just like, like, think of this for a second. He has sympathy for us in our weakness, but he doesn't just sympathize. He actually offers the help that we need like, have you ever looked at somebody's life or circumstance and gone, oh my goodness, my heart goes out to them. I feel for them. I feel badly for them. But then at the end of the day, you go, what, what do I do? What can I do? I can't do, I, or maybe I don't have time or I don't have the energy or I don't have the, the, the resources to help. This was not Jesus. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, but he actually offers us the help that we need to meet us in that moment. And in fact, he, he, he invites us. 
Remember last week, we saw this invitation of Jesus. He said, all, all who labor and are heavy laden, all of you that are burdened, uh, he, he made an invitation. What did he invite us to do? You remember? Come to me, right? Just come to me. And here he kind of expands on this a little bit. He says, I want you to draw near. I want you to come close to me. In fact, I want you to do it boldly. I want you to come with confidence. And he, he describes this place in which he dwells as the throne of grace. Man, I love this description, the throne of grace. You know, when I think, when I think about a throne, I think about this as a place where this high and lofty and mighty king sits and he's unapproachable and, and, and I expect to go to this throne to bow down or I expect to go to this throne to receive judgment. Even in the Old Testament, even with the nation of Israel, with rabbis, they would, they would teach this concept of the throne of God as, as like God had two thrones, as if he had a throne of mercy and he had a throne of, of judgment because they knew that God was merciful, but they also knew that God was just and, and, and they couldn't wrap their minds around this. How do you reconcile mercy and, and judgment? And so God must have two thrones, the throne of mercy and a throne of judgment. And what we see in the book of Hebrews is that because of Jesus, in light of the finished work of Jesus, mercy and judgment can now be reconciled in one throne of grace. A throne of grace that we can approach, that we can come near, we can draw near boldly with confidence, knowing that if we go to this throne of grace, we will find the help that we need. We will find mercy and grace at that throne. We're not gonna find shame and judgment. We're gonna find grace because it is a throne of grace that meets us in our time of, of need. I wanna read you this quote from theologian G. Campbell Morgan. He says this. He said, I'm never tired of pointing out that the Greek phrase translated in time of need is a colloquialism of which in the nick of time is the exact equivalent. So we'll read the verse this way. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the nick of time. Grace just when and where I need it. So say you're attacked by temptation and at the moment of assault, you look to him and the grace is there to help in the, time of, uh, in the nick of time, there is no postponement of your petition until the evening hour of prayer. But there in the city street with the flaming temptation in front of you, turn to Christ with a cry for help and the grace will be there in the nick of time. He has made this invitation to us because he is our great high priest, because as a man, he understands and sympathizes with our struggle. And because as, as God, he is able and he is willing to help us. He says, because of all, thing, all these things, you can draw near to my throne of grace 
Man, I will help you. I will give you exactly what you need right where you need it. This is a throne of grace where you can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And so Jesus is our great high priest. As a man, he gets it. He understands our struggle. But as God, he is able and willing to help us in our need. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2. I skipped a verse here, but I want to read this to you. Hebrews 2.17. Again, the book of Hebrews, all about Jesus as our great high priest. Therefore, he... Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is, don't miss these three words, able to help those who are being tempted. He is able to help He is willing to help. He's our great high priest. He understands our struggles. And as God, he is able and willing to help. So y'all, what do we do with all of this? What do we do with these things? Well, the writer, he, he gives us two things based on all that we see here. He tells us two things. In verse 14, he says, let us do this. Let us hold fast our confession. In other words, let us hold fast to our faith. Let us grab a tight hold of our faith and not let go. And then in verse 16, he says, let us again, then with confidence, draw near to his throne of grace, understanding all of this, who he is, that he is gentle and lowly in heart for us. We then with confidence can draw near. Let me summarize it this way. The more you and I understand the solidarity of Christ with us, The more that we understand that he is with us, that he is for us, that he is alongside of us, the harder you'll hold on to your faith and the more confidently you'll run to his throne for help. So in other words, when we grasp these three concepts, that he is our great high priest, that he has done everything that needs to be done, he has dealt with our sin. We don't have to add, we don't have to do more to please God. We just come to Jesus He's our great high priest. The more we understand that, the more that we understand that as a man, he, he gets it. He feels what we feel. He understands. He sympathizes. And the more that we understand that as God, he has the power and the ability to do something in our moment of me. The more that we grasp this, the harder we'll hold on to our faith. Because why would we want to let go of this God who never lets go of us? The harder, when we get this, the harder we'll hold on to our faith and we won't let go. And the quicker, the more confidence we'll have, the more boldly we will run to his throne to find help in our time of need. The more that we get this, the more that we understand his solidarity with us, that he is for us and alongside of us. And maybe for some of you this morning, you've, you've never even done anything with your sin. You've just been carrying it and carrying it and carrying it. Maybe for days, weeks, months, maybe some of your, all of your life, you've carried the weight of your sin. Listen, he is for you. 
He is with you. He wants to take that sin off of you and forgive you. The solidarity of Christ. I want to read you one last quote. Dane Ortland again in the book, Gentle and Lowly, he says this, we are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the present. I want you to hear that and receive that. We are never alone. That sorrow that feels so isolating, so unique, was endured by him in the past and is now shouldered by him in the presence. This is the solidarity of Christ with us. Amen? Amen. We're never alone. And would you stand with me? I just want to pray, and I want us to rejoice in this God who is with us and for us, who has offered for us to come to him through him. Father God, thank you for this day and for this opportunity. We get to open up your book and hear your words and receive your truth. And God, these are simple things and yet these are monumental things. They're hard to grab a hold of. That you're our great high priest. You have made the, the sacrifice once and for all. We don't have to we don't have to work. We don't have to earn your love and affection. God, we have it. You're our great high priest. You're access to God, the Father. You understand everything we experience and you have the power, the ability to help us, to give us the grace that we need when we need it, as we need it. And so God, I pray for every single one of us this morning that we grab hold of those truths those truths would grab hold of us. And God, this morning as we come before your throne, we recognize that throne as a throne of grace. And that's the throne that we can run to in our time of need, any moment, any day, and there we'll find mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And so God, we worship you today because you've opened up the altar to us. You've made yourself accessible to us. And so today we come into your presence full of gratitude and praise because you are a good, gracious God who sits on a throne of grace. And so today we worship you because